Chapter Twelve, Part One of the Guns of Shiloh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Guns of Shiloh by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Twelve Grant's Great Victory. Part One the night early and wintry put an end to the conflict the fiercest and greatest yet seen in the west thousands of dead and wounded lay upon the field and the hearts of the southern leaders were full of bitterness they had seen the victory won by courage and daring taken from them at the very last moment the farmer lads whom they led had fought with splendid courage and tenacity defeat was no fault of theirs it belonged rather to the generals among whom had been a want of understanding and concert fatal on the field of action they saw too that they had lost more than the battle the union army had not only regained all its lost positions but on the right it had carried the southern entrenchments and from that point grant's great guns could dominate donelson they foresaw with dismay the effect of these facts upon their young troops when night fell and the battle ceased save for the fitful boom of cannon along the lines dick sank against an earthwork exhausted he panted for breath and was without the power to move he regarded vaguely the moving lights that had begun to show in the darkness and he heard without comprehension the voices of men and the fitful fire of the cannon steady dick steady said a cheerful voice now is the time to rejoice we've won a victory and nothing can break general grant's death grip on donelson colonel winchester was speaking and he put a firm and friendly hand on the boy's shoulder dick came back to life and looking into his colonel's face he grinned Colonel Winchester could have been recognized only at close range. His face was black with burned gunpowder. His colonel's hat was gone, and his brown hair flew in every direction. He still clenched in his hand the hilt of his sword, of which a broken blade not more than a foot long was left. His clothing had been torn by at least a dozen bullets, and one had made a red streak across the back of his left hand, from which the blood fell slowly drop by drop you don't mind my telling you colonel that you're no beauty said dick who felt a sort of hysterical wish to laugh you look as if the whole southern army had tried to shoot you up but had merely clipped you all around the borders laugh if it does you good replied colonel winchester a little gravely but young sir you must give me the same privilege this battle while it has not wounded you has covered you with its grime come the fighting is over for this day at least and the regiment is going to take a rest what there is left of it he spoke the last word sadly he knew the terrible cost at which they had driven the southern army back into the fort and he feared that the full price was yet far from being paid but he preserved a cheerful manner before the brave lads of his who had fought so well dick found that warner and pennington both had wounds although they were too slight to incapacitate them sergeant whitley grave and unhurt rejoined them also the winter night and their heavy losses could not discourage the northern troops 
they shared the courage and tenacity of their commander they began to believe now that donelson despite its strength and its formidable garrison would be taken they built the fires high and ate heartily they talked in sanguine tones of what they would do in the morrow excited comment ran among them they had passed from the pit of despair in the morning to the apex of hope at night exhausted all save the pickets fell asleep after a while dreaming of fresh triumphs on the morrow had dick's eyes been able to penetrate donelson he would have beheld a very different scene gloom even more despair reigned there their great effort had failed bravery had availed nothing their frightful losses had been suffered in vain the generals blamed one another floyd favored the surrender of the army but fancying that the union troops hated him with special vindictiveness and that he would not be safe as a prisoner decided to escape pillow declared that grant could yet be beaten but after a while changed to the view of floyd they yet had two small steamers in the cumberland which could carry them up the river they left the command to buckner the third in rank and told him he could make the surrender the black-bearded forest said grimly i ain't going to surrender my cavalry not to nobody and by devious paths he led them away through the darkness and to liberty colonel george kenton rode with him the rumor that a surrender was impending spread to the soldiers not yet firm in the bonds of discipline confusion ensued and the high officers were too busy escaping by the river to restore it all through the night the two little steamers worked but a vast majority of the troops were left behind but dick could know nothing of this at the time he was sleeping too heavily he had merely taken a moment to snatch a bit of food and then at the suggestion of his commanding officer he had rolled himself in his blankets sleep came instantly and it was not interrupted until warner's hand fell upon his shoulder at dawn and warner's voice said in his ear wake up dick and look at the white flag fluttering over donelson dick sprang to his feet sleep gone in an instant and gazed toward donelson warner had spoken the truth white flags waved from the walls and earthworks so they're going to surrender said dick what a triumph they haven't surrendered yet said colonel winchester who stood near those white flags merely indicate a desire to talk it over with us but such a desire is nearly always a sure indication of yielding and our lads take it so hark to their cheering the whole union army was on its feet now joyously welcoming the sight of the white flags they threw fresh fuel on their fires which blazed along a circling rim of miles and ate a breakfast sweetened with a savor of triumph take this big tin cup of coffee dick said warner it'll warm you through and through and we're entitled to a long brown drink for our victory i say victory because the chances are ninety-nine per cent out of a hundred that it is so let x equal our army let y equal victory and consequently x plus y equals our position at the present time and i never thought we could do it said young pennington who sat with them i suppose it all comes of having a general who won't give up i reckon the old saying is true and that hold fast is the best dog of them all 
Now came a period of waiting. Colonel Winchester disappeared in the direction of General Grant's headquarters, but returned after a while and called his favorite aide, young Richard Mason. Dick, he said, we have summoned the Southerners to surrender, and I want you to go with me to a conference of their generals. You may be needed to carry dispatches. Dick went gladly with a group of Union officers who approached Fort Donelson under the white flag, and who met a group of Confederate officers under a like white flag. He noticed in the very center of the Southern group the figure of General Buckner, a tall, well-built man in his early prime, his face usually ruddy, now pale with fatigue and anxiety. Dick, with his uncle, Colonel Kenton, and his young cousin, Harry Kenton, had once dined at his house. Nearly all the officers, northern and southern, knew one another well. Many of them had been together at West Point. Colonel Winchester and General Buckner were well acquainted, and they saluted, each smiling a little grimly. I bring General Grant's demand for the surrender of Fort Donelson, and all of its garrison, arms, ammunition, and other supplies, said Colonel Winchester. Can I see your chief, General Floyd? The lips of Buckner pressed close together in a smile touched with irony. No, you cannot see General Floyd, he said, because he is now far up the Cumberland. Since he has abdicated the command, I wish then to communicate with General Pillow. I regret that you cannot speak to him either. He is as far up the Cumberland as General Floyd. Both departed in the night, and I am left in command of the Southern Army at Fort Donelson. You can state your demands to me, Colonel Winchester. Dick saw that the brave Kentuckian was struggling to hide his chagrin, and he had much sympathy for him. It was in truth a hard task that Floyd and Pillow had left for Buckner. They had allowed themselves to be trapped, and they had thrown upon him the burden of surrendering. But Buckner proceeded with the negotiations. Presently he noticed Dick. Good morning, Richard, he said. It seems that in this case, at least, you have chosen the side of the victors. Fortune has happened to be on our side, General, said Dick respectfully. Could you tell me, sir, if my uncle, Colonel Kenton, is unhurt? He was when he was last with us, replied General Buckner kindly. Colonel Kenton went out last night with Forrest's cavalry. He will not be a prisoner. I am glad of that, said the boy. And he was truly glad. He knew that it would hurt Colonel Kenton's pride terribly to become a prisoner. And although they were now on opposite sides, he loved and respected his uncle. The negotiations were completed, and before night the garrison of Donelson, all except three thousand, who had escaped in the night with Floyd and Pillow and Forrest, laid down their arms. The answer to Bull Run was complete. Fifteen thousand men, sixty-five cannon, and seventeen thousand rifles and muskets were surrendered to General Grant. The bulldog in the silent westerner had triumphed, with only a last chance left to him he had turned defeat into complete victory and had dealt a stunning blow to the southern confederacy which was never able like the north to fill up its depleted ranks with fresh men time alone could reveal to many the deadly nature of this blow but dick who had foresight and imagination understood it now at least in part as he saw the hungry southern boys sharing the food of their late enemies 
his mind traveled over the long southern line thomas had beaten it in eastern kentucky grant had dealt it a far more crushing blow here in western kentucky but albert sidney johnston the most formidable foe of all yet remained in the center he was a veteran general with a great reputation nay more it was said by the officers who knew him that he was a man of genius dick surmised that johnston after the stunning blow of donelson would be compelled to fall back from tennessee but he did not doubt that he would return again dick soon saw that all his surmises were correct the news of donelson produced for a little while a sort of paralysis at richmond and when it reached nashville where the army of johnston was gathering it was at first unbelievable it produced so much excitement and confusion that a small brigade sent to the relief of donelson was not called back and marched blindly into the little town of dover where it found itself surrounded by the whole triumphant union army and was compelled to surrender without a fight panic swept through nashville everybody knew that johnston would be compelled to fall back from the cumberland river upon the banks of which the capital of tennessee stood foot and his gunboats would come steaming up the stream into the very heart of the city rumor magnified the number and size of his boats again the southern leaders felt that the rivers were always a hostile coil girdling them about and lamented their own lack of a naval arm floyd had drawn off in the night from donelson his own special command of virginians and when he arrived at nashville with full news of the defeat at the fortress and the agreement to surrender the panic increased many had striven to believe that the reports were untrue but now there could be no doubt and the panic gained a second impetus when the general set fire to the suspension bridge over the river and the docks along its banks the inhabitants saw the signal of doom in the sheets of flame that rolled up and all those who had taken a leading part in the southern cause prepared in haste to leave with johnston's army the roads were choked with vehicles and fleeing people the state legislature which was then in session departed bodily with all the records and archives but dick after the first hours of triumph felt relaxed and depressed after all the victory was over their own people and five thousand of the farmer lads north and south had been killed or wounded but this feeling did not last long as on the very evening of victory he was summoned to action action with him always made the blood leap and hope rise it was his own regimental chief arthur winchester who called him and who told him to make ready for an instant departure from donelson you are to be a cavalryman for a while dick said colonel winchester so much has happened recently that we scarcely know how we stand above all we do not know how the remaining southern forces are disposed and i've been chosen to lead a troop toward nashville and see you warner pennington that very capable sergeant whitley and others whom you know are to go with me my force will number about three hundred and the horses are already waiting on the other side they were carried over the river on one of the boats and the little company mounting prepared to ride into the dark woods but before they disappeared dick looked back and saw many lights gleaming in captured donelson once more the magnitude of grant's victory 
impressed him. Certainly he had struck a paralyzing blow at the southern army in the west. But the ride in the dark, over a wild and thinly settled country, soon occupied Dick's whole attention. He was on one side of Colonel Winchester, and Warner was on the other. Then the others came four abreast. At first there was some disposition to talk, but it was checked sharply by the leader, and after a while the disposition itself was lacking. Colonel Winchester was a daring horseman, and Dick soon realized that it would be no light task to follow where he led. Evidently he knew the country, as he rode with certainty over the worst roads that Dick had ever seen. They were deep in mud which froze at night, but not solidly enough to keep the feet of the horses from crushing through, making a crackle as they went down, and a loud sticky sigh as they came out. All were spattered with mud which froze upon them, but they were so much inured to hardship now that they paid no attention to it. But this rough riding soon showed so much effect upon the horses that Colonel Winchester led aside into the woods and fields, keeping parallel with the road. Now and then they stopped to pull down fences, but they still made good speed. Twice they saw at some distance cabins with the smoke yet rising from the chimneys, but the Colonel did not stop to ask any questions. Those he thought could be asked better further on. Twice they crossed creeks. One the horses could wade, but the other was so deep that they were compelled to swim. On the further bank of the second they stopped a while to rest the horses, and to count the men to see that no straggler had dropped away in the darkness. Then they sprang into the saddle again, and rode on as before, through a country that seemed to be abandoned. There was a certain thrill and exhilaration in their daring ride. The smoke and odors of the battle about Donelson were blown away. The dead and the wounded, the gruesome price even of victory, no longer lay before their eyes, and the cold air rushing past freshened their blood and gave it new sparkle. Everyone in the little column knew that danger was plentiful about them, but there was pleasure in action in the open. Their general direction was Nashville, and now they came into a country richer, better cultivated, and peopled more thickly. Toward night they saw on a gentle hill, in a great lawn and surrounded by fine trees, a large red-brick house, with green shutters and portico supported by white pillars. Smoke rose from two chimneys. Colonel Winchester halted his troop and examined the house from a distance for a little while. This is the home of wealthy people, he said at last to Dick, and we may obtain some information here, at least we should try it. Dick had his doubts, but he said nothing. You, Mr. Pennington, Mr. Warner, Sergeant Whitley, dismount with me, continued the Colonel, and we'll try the house. He bade his troop remain in the road under the command of the officer next in rank, and he, with those whom he had chosen, opened the lawn gate. A brick walk led to the portico, and they strolled along it, their spurs jingling. Although the smoke still rose from the chimneys, no door opened to them as they stepped into the portico. All the green shutters were closed tightly. I think they saw us in the road, said Dick, and this is a house of staunch southern sympathizers. That's why they don't open up to us. Beat on the door with the hilt of your sword, sergeant, said the colonel to Whitley. They're bound to answer in time. 
End of chapter 12. Part 1.